Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I'm Suvi alongside me today. Just the shark. No Taylor today. I think he's trying to close on a home. Good for him. Put put your nine to five. Well, actually, there's not really a nine to five for realtors, but putting the professional life ahead of uh, the podcast. So hug for Taylor. Hopefully he gets that done. So it's just me and the shark today. We're brought to you by the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. Your college hooper of the week is BJ Daniels from South Florida. You remember BJ Daniels, jack of all trades, football player and a basketball player. Don't ever forget it. I believe Daniels was the quarterback for South Florida. Also a pretty solid basketball player as well. So BJ Daniels, shout out to you. He is your college hooper of the week. Make sure to check out the website at the barnburner.com. That's the dash barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is. And make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains. I don't want to alarm you, Shark. I don't want you to get nervous. I don't want you to get overexcited. I don't. I, I just want you to be calm, take it in. But you know, we're only a little over a month away from the Holy Day, right? Selection Sunday, March thirteenth. We're approaching it rapidly. Yeah, I saw someone say it's five weeks away, and you know, any any time you do when you're looking forward to something, they say there's this many weeks away, and it seems like. That's a very close time period. And also it goes both ways because I think I saw something recently where someone said that was only four weeks ago regarding like week 18 of the NFL. And that seems like it was two years ago at this point. So I don't want to get too excited yet. I don't want to go bust my load or anything like that. Uh, but they're there. I mean, this past weekend was a nice little appetizer for what we're looking for in terms of, you know, those tourney weekend games, at least the Jerome weekend. And then as you roll through and start seeing the the bubble kind of crystallize a little bit, I know that doesn't make a lot of sense, a bubble crystallizing, but you're starting to see the conversations about which teams could be involved. And these games are big now. A lot of teams have to win certain games this week, and you're starting to see the, the tiers of teams that could potentially be on the one and the two seed line as well. So things are coming into form. 
I think crystallizes the best word because you're right. Oh, things but a, bubble, a bubble can't crystal though. I mean, I've yeah, but that's, that. that's our brand at this point. I mean, we don't make any sense whatsoever. We take one thing and then just oh, ad lib a word. I, 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 make, I make quite a bit of sense. Actually, no, I make quite I, a bit of sense. You make, I make sense. You don't make sense. So a- things are starting to take form and you're right because I, I like to brainstorm how we're going to intro the show. A lot of times earlier in the year, it's been with football and the football team more specific commanders. Excuse me. Did we ever congratulate you on the new name? Uh, no, because th- this time last week, I'm wearing the same hat again. You know, the three Super Bowl championships that they've won. Uh, but this time last week was the eve of the commanders unveiling, which was just so pathetic when it happened. But okay, we're moving forward. Russ Wilson, commander. So things are taking, uh, starting to take shape. And that's what sort of brought me to this point or to this intro because I was looking at that beautiful slate of games on Saturday a lot of theater a lot of great buzzer beaters actually on Monday night there was a shitload of theater and a shitload of of uh buzzer beaters you guys were getting I know you guys were getting on me I, you know Monday night the to me I was keeping up with the Duke UVA game but I also I gotta like I'm married you know so I gotta watch I'm knee deep in the show Yellow Jackets. I know I keep telling you about that on Showtime. I'm not trying to give it a shameless plug, but I had to watch these two episodes of Yellow Jacket. Frankly, I'm doing the show. I got to go watch the finale. I could barely sleep last night. I was so excited about this show. But I also understand that college basketball had a terrific night. I was monitoring all that as it happened. So don't think that I wasn't paying attention. Good win for uh, UVA. I think you're trying to fabricate or drum up drama between us. It needs to happen naturally because I wasn't getting on you for yellow jackets. That was our friend and Providence fan, Brendan O'Rourke, avid listener of the program. He was the only one tweeting about the Duke UVA game. And to be perfectly honest with you, I'm, I'm with you in that boat with sharing the TV with someone. All right. I, I dominate the TV on Saturdays and Sundays. And when the fiance wants to watch a little below deck or watch a little one tree Hill, which by the way, I I didn't know it was so predicated on basketball. It's terrible, terrible theater, but that's what makes it so, so great. Uh, So we were watching that. And then the Arizona uh, ASU game was following the Duke UVA game. So I was like, look, I'm going to give you the TV for a little bit. I'm getting Arizona ASU. So yeah, I, I, I cut my losses with Duke UVA, not knowing that UVA was going to end up winning that game, which they probably shouldn't have. They stole it with a couple of uh, three-pointers and, and jump balls on Theo John. Theo John, dude, if you're not there to secure a rebound with some strength, what the hell are you doing in a Duke uniform? Uh, we'll get to all of that, of course, but a lot happening this week and moving forward, and you're right, uh, the bubble is starting to shape. Here's my question for you, though, before we dive into the actual topic, Shark. When exactly is it blind resume season? Because we know exactly what's going to happen on ESPN coming out of the break. It's going to be, okay, Team A has this record, this Ken Palm, all this shit. Key wins over X, Y, and Z. Team B. And then they reveal right before they go back to game action. When exactly do we hit blind resume season? I think right now, I think February, you're in it. You're in blind resume season at this point, just because you got, you got to love Joey brackets. You got to love what he does, but no one gives a shit about the bracket that he's releasing in like July before the season even starts. Like, dude, go out, be with your family, you know, maybe go to a cookout or something. February bracketology, whether it's Palm, Joey brackets, the Corsi, the guy that does it for Fox, I mean, this is when they become appointment website browsing at this point. You get in get that into your rotation. If you read The Athletic, like I myself, that's in the rotation. If you are on the message boards, whether it's for your professional sports teams or college, that's on the rotation. Now bracketology is on the rotation. So that, that actually means something you can start envisioning games. I actually was looking at Joey Brackets before I got on this show. And it was funny because I sent a tweet uh, last week about Providence potentially playing too well at this point to the point where they're going to be seated pretty damn high. I mean, they're, they're fucking, they've won 20 games and lost two games. All right. So they're, they're in the two seed, three seed world. Um, I'm not, I'm not ready to go to the one seed, but you never know if they went out, maybe they're a one seed. Um, but they're at the point where they're going to go into the opening weekend with a lot of expectations. They're going to be a top dog hunted. And I threaten them, so to speak, with potentially playing Vermont in the first round, who is good. And then you go to Joey Brackett's site right now. What guess what the matchup is, Father? Probably I didn't three. see the matchup. I, I saw him at the three line. Is it Vermont? 
That's 14th. The, four, the 14th seed. That's the last thing you'd want to see if you're a Providence fan. I mean, that gives you, brings you back to the four seed Syracuse taking on the Catamounts back in 03 or 04, whatever that was. So these are the type of things you got to be careful of. Um, but I, I mean, it actually, you, you can start playing it through in your head. You can start visualizing matchups. You can start seeing who a, a likely opponent would be for someone, you know, within your, within your echelon, so to speak. And, you know, you got to start paying more closely attention to this stuff. It's always way more intriguing and more fun playing the blind resume test between two teams that are on the bubble versus will this team get a one or will this team get the overall one, you know, things like that. So uh, the bubble blind resumes is a lot of fun. I'm glad you brought up Lunardi before going to bed the other night. I did catch him on Van Pelt. And first and foremost, just a really, really, what's the word I'm looking for? Discouraging, unflattering camera angle for Lunardi. Uh, It was not his best look. I think he's kind of let his dental hygiene go a little bit as well. Teeth just crooked all over the place. I'm not here to comment on his physical appearance. Lunardi's been with us pretty much our entire time uh, watching college basketball. But I'm now starting to think of and look at some of these bracketologists and these analytics guys, it's almost like it's they're like hard seltzers. So bear with me for a second. Everyone's got a hard seltzer at this point. Bud Light, hard seltzer. Natty Light, there's hard seltzers, right? You got high noons. I don't know if those count as hard seltzers because it's vodka, but you got you got White Claw, right? You got Trulies. Someone got the seltzer game because they're like, look, these people don't want to be drunk and bloated as fuck on a boat in a hot summer day. They want to feel a little light while still getting drunk. So you think Lunardi is the, for me at least, is the original of the bracketologist, of the guy breaking down resumes and 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 purr and all, all that nonsense. Is Lunardi even that relevant anymore in the bracketology world? Or is it, do we just have, I mean... I, I feel like a lot of people look at Ken Palm. They look at Andy Katz. They look at all these other guys. And I feel like Lunardi's kind of gone by the wayside. Am I wrong on that? I'd say you're wrong. And I, I think there is, I mean, there's the, the, the typical personalities, you know, and just to speak briefly on these bracketologists that we have, I think we can be uh, fair in saying that these guys were probably not the prom kings back in the day. I mean, just take one look at these guys and, you know, <laughs> you know, the type of situation they were going with growing up. I mean, between Lunardi and, you know, Palm, you're looking at, <laughs> oh, um, but anyways, but they found a role, right? So they found a way to kind of contribute and, and, and provide value to the sport. Uh, so I, I think perhaps there's a window for, you know, some hot piece of ass bracketologist to get in there. You know, it's a pretty boy on TV uh, and be, could become the face of bracketology. But for now we're living with, we're living with, um, you know, the, 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 the Glee, the AV club or the Glee club guy, not the Glee club, Glee club's not even there, but yeah, they're not prom Kings. That's for sure. As for whether or not Rinaldi's Lenardi is still relevant. Of course he's relevant. I mean, that's a, that's a, if you watch college basketball and you know what Ken Palm is, Ken Palm, you know, Lenardi walked. So Ken Palm could run, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the growth of college basketball um, science, so to speak. I don't even totally understand Ken Palm and his ratings and all that sort of stuff. I think there's so many people that comment on the luck component of it and how does he rank this and how do we not move up enough points and Ken Palm ratings after a win here, but we went down after a loss there. I don't totally know, you know, and that's why I always fall back on, you know, you you can't overvalue wins that happen in October, excuse me, in November and December. Uh, but they're still relevant for the consideration. It's just generally an eye test type thing. That's where you go shark bomb. See, you could you could be the new seltzer. Did you see Bud Light's actually coming out with a beer with no carbs? Uh, how does that work? I don't know. I don't know. But yeah. they came out with it. There's always there's always room for for a new fresh face. So uh, you're right, and and I'm glad it was kind of a leading question. I I I do think Lunardi is still relevant, but I feel like a lot of people are starting to forget about him. And I don't want that to happen. We need to pay homage to the forefather. He really is the godfather of bracketology and breaking down matchups and giving us an inside look at to, as to what a potential matchup could be here in the months of February and January. And he does a tremendous job on a weekly basis. So this is more of a hat tip to, to Lunardi, despite the fact that I kind of went in on his physical appearance, which I apologize yeah, for. Yeah. But that, I mean, that's probably what I want in my bracketologist. I, don't, I just said you did to deflect off the fact that I also did, you know, I but Hey, what can you do? 
what can you do? All right, let's actually head out west to one of the teams that had a seismic shift probably in their seating for the NCAA tournament. Miserable, miserable re- week for the Bruins from Westwood. UCLA loses two straight in Arizona. Uh, they left the state of Arizona with more citations or arrests, whatever you want to call it, than wins. Mackie Tien, I don't know if anyone saw the video. If you haven't, you're kind of living under a college basketball rock. Uh, he spits into the crowd at Arizona. We'll first break down the games, okay? Start with the Arizona game, then go to the ASU game, which I think a lot of people are now, obviously, they're, they're like, this is inexcusable. Uh, what was what was your big takeaway, I suppose, from the Bruins this past Thursday and Saturday? I still think they're good. I still think they're a dangerous team, a team that I wouldn't want to face. I think um, – you know, the one the game against Arizona, that, that was kind of a buzzsaw that they were walking into on the Thursday night. Arizona was all hyped up for it, wanted a little revenge from the game that they had lost previously. And it was a, a statement game for them to put themselves on the map for beating a team that was the, the cream of the crop in the conference last year. The game against Arizona State, and, you know, that was a fun game to watch. If you were up, you know, chopping wood with us late on a Saturday night, you would have seen all the different overtimes that went into it. But my takeaway was, I mean, what the hell was UCLA doing? They looked so exhausted for one. They kept relying on just really like, why what's wrong with Tiger Campbell just going off the dribble and taking it to the, you know, pulling a, pull he had a pretty terrible game, but not in the second half, not towards the end of the game. I mean, if I watch Johnny Juzang go in and miss another layup for the seventh time in a row, I mean, at some point, maybe try something new over there, coach, coach Cronin, but it didn't make a lot of sense to me that they didn't try to get, tiger in some space because he's hit so many big shots in his career um but that was just arizona state going off i mean they clearly have the talent marion jackson if you didn't know was a crucial player on toledo last year uh and they had lost in that mac championship against ohio who went on to make the tournament, I believe, as a 14, uh, 13 seed. They beat UVA in the first round. Then they almost beat Creighton in the second round. They had the Jason Preston. Then they had the big Dutchman. You know, they, they're a fun team to watch. But that was Toledo's league to win throughout the year because of Marion Jackson. Because if you watch that game, you know he's got game. I mean, Bill Walton didn't like his game too much when he kept talking. When he was laughing about him. There, the Walton stuff was so yeah, good. The Walton was on fire. But the, I, I've actually never – seen a player winding up for a game-winning shot and wiping his shoes before he does it. And Walton was just so disgusted with it, which was hilarious because he bricked the shot. But he was also, you know, as a 90% free throw shooter, as they told us a million times. And Jay Heath, the other guys on the team, they, they're all talented. But Jay Heath's your boy. Eh, he left. He quit on the team. We, he could have been useful for us this year. But, uh, no, I, I, I think Arizona State has always had the potential to, to be very good. The, the talents on that team, they're just so – uh, the chemistry is not there whatsoever. Um, I didn't catch the game that you guys played with it on Monday night. And by you guys, I mean Arizona. But that was a classic letdown spot for you. I think everyone, anyone would know that. You were in a dogfight for two games going on Thursday, Saturday, and then the following Monday. So that's never going to be easy. Great spot for that, that Arizona State in that game. I don't know if the cover was there or not. I think it was like 12 points or so. But uh, you guys, to shift it off of UCLA, because I know you want to talk about how terrible they are and you want to punch down at this point but you guys are also in a position where i i it, it's hard to really tell how good arizona is just because i i don't think these top pack 12 teams are that great usc ucla um can get so cold for so long and i think the talent's always going to be there but they're never playing as a great cohesive team both those teams so this year y- at least you you had me going when you first started this incoherent rambling of yours just now i mean normally i can get taylor to jump in and punch some numbers for me over there with uh, lenardi and Jer- jerry palm lenardi and taylor <laughs> that's right i can't i sorry we should I, we need to take that back i i mixed up ken pomeroy and jerry palm too many palms it's it's tough to keep track of but i was with you pom, 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 yeah <laughs> that's good ben stiller meet the parents um I was with you for a little bit, and then I had to disagree with a lot of your points. First and foremost, I'm not punching down on UCLA. I do think that they are still a very good team. A lot of elite teams and good teams with talent, which UCLA clearly has, they go through these stretches. They go through a sweep over the course of a weekend. And 
it's probably best that this happened now in early February, as opposed to down the stretch. Okay. So they're right now on, I think third place behind Oregon, even in the PAC 12 standings, but I fully expect them to be there uh, at number two in the PAC 12 standings. I think Arizona does have a pretty strong hold on winning the regular season conference title, but I think UCLA will uh, leapfrog my preseason PAC 12 champion pick in Oregon. It's not time to burn the place down. So let's first and foremost start with the Arizona game. So much juice in Tucson. It was a revenge game just a week later. Um, A lot to prove for Arizona, like you had mentioned. They needed a signature win, which, by the way, I think they have three now with the emergence of Wyoming, whom we'll get to. They have Wyoming, Illinois, UCLA, all three really good wins. Uh, What, are you going to chime in on Wyoming? I almost fell out of my chair when you said a signature win, Arizona against Wyoming. Maybe not signature, but it's a good win. Okay. They're going to be there in the blind, blind taste test, the blind resume test. Okay. But uh, UCLA, I didn't think that was a barometer of how they were. Uh, real quick, though, the Mackey TN spit, disgraceful. I'd like to lump UCLA fans in with PC fans as being absolute weirdo hyenas on Twitter. The amount of times I saw people being like, oh my God, focusing on the Mackey TN citation slash arrest, as opposed to the fact that he spat is absurd. Everyone fishing for, oh, well, what did the Arizona guy say? If he said something out of bounds, racist, uh, something terrible that clearly crossed the line, yeah, ban that guy. But that's all speculation. What we absolutely know for a fact is that Mac ETN spit twice. It happened twice with the UCLA, uh, with the UCLA AD in attendance. So Mac ETN, dude, nobody has any sympathy for you. UCLA fans blindly defending them or him, it, it, they're just lunatics, lost causes. But that Arizona game, fine. UCLA, that's it was kind of expected. Shift to the ASU game. That was troubling. Uh, and the, here's another point that I disagree with you on. ASU doesn't have talent. They're a terrible basketball team, Shark. They are awful, undisciplined. They cannot score the ball. Their offense is is it's indescribable. They can't shoot. They have no low, low post game. Marion Jackson is the only shooter. I'll give you him. And yeah, they got hot. They also got hot against Arizona and it might've been the result of playing three overtimes just two nights before, but they completely gassed out UCLA though. That game plan was so mind numbing to me, especially down the stretch. Okay. You're in a battle. You're in a dogfight with ASU. They kept fouling ASU. And again, I have to reiterate, Bobby Hurley and that Sun Devil team does not have an offense. It's it's one of the most elementary offenses I've ever seen. It's like, hey, if you know when you're coaching elementary school kids and if they set a pick without moving and it gets them an open look, that's a win. That's ASU's offense. And for some reason, UCLA could not and would not defend without fouling, sending ASU to the line, which if you're a D1 basketball player, you can make free throws, okay? We're not asking you to perform surgery here. And that's exactly how ASU not only kept crawling back after giving up a huge lead, being down one or two against UCLA, but extending the lead to two or three. And then you go to triple overtime, ASU hits their first two shots. And at some point, yeah, I mean, I guess they're going to wake up. They're not They're not players without a pulse. So the, the ASU loss was not only just crazy to me, Uh, for UCLA because you'd think that they would be super inspired going into it, but it was also a comedy of errors. Shark, I'm not kidding. I was having the time of my life on the couch texting the group chat. It was the biggest comedy of errors highlighted by Mick Cronin lighting into Jaime Jaquez for a turnover, which resulted in no time off the clock on an inbounds pass and ASU's ball. Now it didn't end up with an ASU game winning shot or anything like that, but I think we all know what I'm talking about when Jaime Hawkins sailed the ball over Miles Johnson and apparently Mick Cronin came out being like he was supposed to drill that pass with a lot of pepper on it. Okay. Drill it right to his stomach so that the ASU player hopefully would reach and foul. Instead, he lobs it out of bounds and Mick Cronin was fuming. It was a comedy of errors. So that game actually was very entertaining. Yeah. So you're right. Arizona state. Do not does not look like they have an offense whatsoever, but they were at least getting shots up. So, I mean, they, they're terrible shots. I agree. It doesn't look beautiful when you're watching it. I agree. But they were getting shots up, and their players were talented enough to make the crucial shots when it had. I forget who the big guy was. He made some huge shots in the third overtime to keep things going for them. That were Jaylen not – yeah, Jalen Graham, that were not being made by UCLA. And UCLA did have an offense, but it was an offense that they just kept running over and over again and wasn't working. And these guys – they also take so many just – 
I don't want to call them inefficient shots because they, they're they're good looks, but they're just not good looks. So long twos and shots that are just not going towards the basket, and they're created to get someone an open look for for a mid range jumper. When you know, why can't you just give it to Cody Riley and let him just get banged around down there and make one of two free throws and survive in advance as you go forward? Why can't you get Tiger Campbell going downhill? I would prefer that type of action at the end of a game than Johnny Juzang playing with his back to the basket again, trying to display that he could play at the NBA level because he did it well last year during the tournament. It just looked terrible in those overtime stretches. And UCLA definitely should have won the game. I'm not denying that point, but I'm not going to push a panic button on UCLA just because this same unit proved what they could do last year, and they're obviously super talented. Uh, And I I think you're right. This this could be a timely wake-up call. And I know I push back on the Pac-12 as being – I don't want to – they're good wins. Definitely a good win for Arizona being able to beat UCLA because of what they did last year. USC, I I think we didn't really talk about them much. They're tough, man. But they just chuck threes. I mean, they're tough and they're tall and they're athletic, but – They're defensive. Their defense reminded me of yours in Tennessee, to be honest with you. Well, that's insulting right there But because Tennessee lights you up like a Christmas tree. But, I mean, USC, they're they're good defensively because they're freaking huge. They're like you guys. They're super long. They're super athletic. Uh, but I feel like they don't really get as many good looks either. They're just chucking threes as well. So I, I think if they're not falling, they're going to play poorly. Uh, USC is a team that's definitely ripe for an upset. They really only went on their run last year because Evan Mobley was a monster. Um, and you just can't get a shot off around him. Now, I know his brother is a good player as well. But I, I don't know. USC, not not too much of a fan of that team. Oregon is still petrifying me as someone. If, if they get in on the 8-9 seed line, if you're a one seed, watch out just because Oregon is Oregon. Uh, but yeah, I, generally speaking, the Pac-12 is you guys are good, Oregon is good, UCLA is good, USC is kind of good. I would switch Oregon with USC, but yeah, I mean, and that's fine. I'm not here to defend the Pac-12. It's a lot easier when you're running the conference because you can just stand on your own merit, really. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm almost 100% sure that UCLA Arizona will be playing for the Pac-12 title in Las Vegas. We need that as a fan base. And uh, that rivalry came back about, and I think that we're going to get it. I I don't know. I mean, I could even easily see Oregon crashing that party and USC is a team that if they get super hot, you never know. I know I just kind of trash them a little bit. Like the guy, you always call any white guy, you call him uh, Nate Jacobson, the guy from Euphoria. Nate Jacobs. Nate Jacobs. Nate yes. Jacobs. Well, the, the guy on US Peterson, right? USC. See, you're forcing that. He's not like. I think if anything, that's it. Yeah, no, he doesn't. Naked. That's Christian. You know, you know what the issue was is because Casey Jacobson was calling a different game in the pack. No, your game in the Pac-12. Casey Jacobson was calling that. He went to Stanford. By the way, this is another Pac-12 thing. We're doing a lot of minutes on this Pac-12, but watching that Oregon game against Utah, those guys on Utah, bunch of artisanal hipsters, just you know, all hair team. Having, oh, unbelievable! Man buns, artisanal coffee, just found a way to cover at the end of that game too. What, what a watch that was. That was an uh, epic meltdown from Oregon late. They couldn't get the ball in. They couldn't break a press. Uh, tough tough sledding there in Utah this year under first-year head coach uh, from Utah State. I'm forgetting his name right now. But, yeah, the, the, the Utes, very on brand, you would think, for, for a team representing Salt Lake City in Utah. But we'll see what UCLA does. They have a very difficult game, uh, sneaky game, in my opinion, against Stanford when this airs that will have reached a result. So we'll see what UCLA does here moving forward. I don't think it's time to hit the panic button, but your fans on Twitter are fucking ridiculous. Let's move on now to coach K farewell tour. Of course, going on makes his final trip to Chapel Hill and beats the hell out of UNC, but it wasn't all good news for coach K this past week. They lose to Virginia, uh, after being, I think, what, 11-point favorites in Cameron, his second home loss in conference. The first obviously came against Miami. Now, both of those games came uh, pretty pretty much buzzer beaters, I, I, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but Coach K, weird week for the Blue Devils. They smash UNC in a very inspired effort and then turn around and lose to Virginia. My only thing is why, why, does, they, why does Duke ice – Paolo Bancaro in the second half so many times or ice him out down the stretch for crucial possessions. Bancaro only had two points in the second half. I don't know if he attempted more than one or two shots in the second half. 
Am I crazy in that? Like, what is K doing there? I don't know. I think you would have to factor in the performance that AJ Griffin had over the weekend as well. That was a kind of a coming out party for a guy that wasn't necessarily lighting it up. Right. He was their best player against Virginia and he didn't play the last five minutes. So I, who knows what he's thinking? Who knows whether he's actually calling a lot of these shots or it's a John Shire decision that's happening through a lot of this. We, we really don't necessarily know, but you know, that Duke is preparing for the tournament because Programs like that, they know they're going to end up being on the two seed or a one seed line if they're able to go through, and assuming they don't have a collapse at the end of the year, and they know they're super talented. You could take one look at that team and realize that that's one of the better two teams you've seen in a while. They're super athletic. They can shoot. They play great defense, and they have they have kind of the the foundational skills, the shot blockers, the, uh, the some level of leadership on that team. So I, I think it's another hangover type game that they would have had after the North Carolina trouncing, which was truly the beatdown over the weekend. But I wouldn't read too much into the 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 positional switches or the lineup decisions that Coach K's had or Shires had for Duke. They've won like they've lost like two games this year. So I think they're gonna be all right. It's just a little perplexing to me is all I feel like Bancaro doesn't get the ball in crucial moments when he absolutely should. And yeah, you might be right. This might be a, a part of a greater plan, but in the interim, what uh, all I can see uh, is him not being able to perform in some of these crucial late game scenarios. Same exact thing happened against Miami. What does this say about Virginia though? I know you've been high on the ACC. I know you've been tell, trying to tell us that it's more competitive than you actually think. This was a great win by Virginia. I definitely thought that Duke was going to, and I quote, Milk them like old Bessie, clear, easily cover ele- or cover eleven. They did not. They ended up losing. Is Virginia a tournament team? Uh, they got work to do, but they have a favorable schedule coming up. I mean, they have Kihei Clark, who's a, a absolute mainstay of the Virginia basketball. Beekman, big time shot. Jalen Gardner is their leading scorer. All these guys are good. They're typical Virginia type players, um, but. You know, they're going to have to stack some wins because I think they have nine losses at this point. That's a huge tournament level win. That's going to look great on any resume going forward. But I mean, they're going to have to, they can only drop, I would say, I don't know, nine losses at this point without knowing their their true strengths of schedule, quad one wins, all that sort of stuff. It's, it's tough to say, but I mean, what do you expect from a Tony Bennett team? I would expect them to to make a run, but they do have a very small margin of error. National champion, Kihei Clark. I want to go back, though, to Duke and Carolina. We make fun of Coach K quite a bit. It's easy to make fun of him, and a lot of it is deserving. But it's easy to make fun of Duke and Coach K because of how much they win, how corny they are, how punchable some of the players' faces are, et cetera, et cetera. But it is incredibly cool, in my estimation, that the final time he goes to Chapel Hill, he puts an absolute beatdown on the Tar Heels. I mean, like you had mentioned, it wasn't even close. And Carolina's a team that you really like. And I understand it was Duke. Duke's clearly better. But they, hey man, I mean, and right now, right now they're only up by three on Clemson in in Clemson. So uh, that was a soul-sucking loss for for Carolina. And I think it was a welcome to the rivalry as a coach for Hubert Davis. Well, I don't even know what Hubert Davis could have done. I mean, the players were just so terrible. Caleb Love was one of the one of the worst performances I've ever seen in a half. He was just dribbling it off his foot. It reminded me of David Duke in the Big Ten uh, Big East tournament last year where he just com- looked completely out of it. I mean, he was awful. And if you don't have a guy like Caleb Love playing well for you, you're never going to be able to keep up. I mean, fortunately, Brady Manick hit like a million threes in the first half to keep him somewhat in it. And they actually got it to within 11 or so at halftime. And then Duke came out again and just absolutely beat them down. I think that's a telltale sign, though, of the true ass kicking that took place because Caroline would go on like a seven or eight oh run. And obviously the Dean Dome's a great atmosphere, great fans, places getting loud. And then you look down at the score bug. They're still down 14. They're still down 14 with like eight minutes to go. It's like this game's over. And it's, it's hard for Hubert Davis because I don't know what he's supposed to do. You, you watch some of the moments in that game. You see Armando Baycott just like literally just miss the easiest layup I've ever seen in my life. It's just like he had a stroke in the middle of his shot and just completely whiffed on a layup. But sometimes that's going to happen. Your your players are dribbling off their foot. They're missing layups. And I don't know, you're never going to be able to compete with a Duke with that. I got to tell you just real quick, generally speaking, the last couple weeks, the three primetime matchups that 
we've been all Pavloving for have not delivered. And I totally trust, I totally trust college basketball to give us some really good theater. But if we think about, let's see, Kansas Baylor, ass whooping, Duke Carolina, ass whooping, Kansas, Kentucky, ass whooping. Those were the three marquee games over the past two weeks that we were all really circling on our schedule and they were over by halftime, but credit to coach K for going into the Dean dome, putting a spanking on the Tar Heels, then losing to UVA. Of course, just like UCLA, we'll see how Duke responds. Wake, let's stay in the ACC real quick. Wake Forest has made their way to number 25 in the coaches poll. We have a decent Wake following. We interviewed LD Williams, former Wake forward uh, earlier in the year. Shark, are you surprised at how quick of a turnaround Steve Forbes uh, has has done here in Winston-Salem? Because he was successful at Etsu. Yeah, he was. Um, and he's got some great transfers that have come in and done well for him. I, I would say they need to slow down a little bit before we crown this guy, just because they, they may, you know, now that they have a little expectations associated with them, they might stumble. I mean, they got NC State tomorrow. I mean, tonight, if you're listening today, and then I think they got Miami again. These are two huge games. You win these two games that you should probably win, maybe not the Miami one, then all of a sudden the conversation becomes a little bit more real. But, yeah, I mean, Wake, they're Wake. I, I, I think they – Alondis Williams is an, an ant. I, I will give them that. Uh, but outside of Laravia that, too. Yeah. He's, he's, I think he was on triple-double watch the other day. Yeah, whatever. Um, but, I, I mean, just the wins that they had last – I mean, Florida State had nobody playing. They beat Pitt, who was just atrocious. Uh, the week before that, they got pummeled by Syracuse, and they beat BC, who was also atrocious. So, like, I don't know what it is about this past week that all of a sudden get everyone talking about Wake because I think it's more so other teams lost and allowed Wake to be considered. And you look at their record, and it's like, okay, all right, Wake has actually got, you know, 19 wins and five losses, give them a little attention. Uh, I'm just not sure so much about who they beat when they get there. I think this is just a classic case of a basketball program with rich history on Tobacco Road in North Carolina, thirsting, thirsting for any sort of success. I mean, it, it's like being starved for five days, and then you have a maple and ash 32-ounce steak on your plate. That's pretty much what it is for Wake Forest. You think back to the Danny Manning era – Awful, with the exception of the John Collins year where they went to the play-in game. I think they lost to Kansas State. But Wake Forest is just looking for a winner. They're looking to not be embarrassed. I think that's what it is. They've been embarrassing the past couple years. And now the fact that they're knocking on the door of an NCAA tournament, that they got some sort of recognition uh, across the national landscape, not as not like they they're always underrated or everyone overlooks them. They've just been so terrible. But now that they're beating teams that they should be, like Pitt, which wasn't always a given under Danny Manning, it's cause for excitement. And I'm happy for the Wake guys. I'll tell you what, NC State probably felt like they should be the ones enjoying the fruits of their Kevin Keats hire. That's not looking too terrific. Keats, Keats That's is, your boy. That was my boy. A couple of years ago, I did say he was going to win ACC Coach of the Year. That did not take. It was an awful call. And now Kevin Keats is sub 500. So we always know that there's going to be two teams on Tobacco Road vying for NCAA tournament berths. It's always a matter of is, is Wake Forest or NC State going to step up to the plate to make it three? So I was able to pull some of these numbers while, while we were discussing. Can you guess what Wake's strengths of schedule is for the year? I don't know, the 90s? 106. All right, 106. Their best win is yeah, the ACC sucks. Kind of doesn't, though. I mean, Wake did beat UVA. I'll give them that. The ACC doesn't suck. I mean, this is where, again, I'm thinking two plays ahead from you. You're living you're living on whatever's pre-snap, right? I'm thinking about the snap two plays from that. And I'm seeing that the ACC is good. All right, I'm telling you the ACC is good. There are good teams that are not recognized right now. They're undervalued. Notre Dame, UVA, um, uh, Syracuse, my other teams. I mean, these Miami's pretty good, too. There's a lot of good teams in the ACC. But Wake, I just haven't seen enough. They beat, what, North Carolina at one point. They beat UVA. Those are good wins. But outside of that, they haven't really been challenged by anyone else. It's kind of a puffed-up schedule. That's all I'm saying. These are two tough games they have this week. So if they go to end Raleigh and beat them, um, that's an impressive win. North Carolina State's got talent on their team. Um, Seaborn, good ball player. 
And then if they go and they beat Miami, another team that they're going to be competing on the bubble with to an extent, that's another good win. So these are this is a big week for uh, Wake. I'm not throwing a parade for these guys over there in Winston-Salem just yet. but I'm not going to throw them a parade either. I just want to give them a little recognition. They deserve it. And because L.D. Williams, former Deacon. But that's the, I'm not, I don't know if they do deserve it. That's the thing. Like go, uh, Coaches recognize them as one of the top 25 teams in the country. You don't think Titch can? I'm just their number 25. All right. There, there's teams dropping in, dropping out. People coming in, people coming out. LSU was in two weeks ago. You're going to throw them? You're going to do the same thing for LSU? No, I mean, LSU's dead in the water right well, now. That's my point. They're terrible. Like, well, that could very well happen away. Yeah, it could. I understand yeah. that. Yeah, I'm living in the here and now. Fine. Think I, two snaps ahead. Yeah, and I'm just saying I like to for, forecast the present a little bit. I'm trying to see the I'm, – I'm seeing the floor, all right? You can't forecast the present. Well, I am. I'm looking at the present, and then I'm giving you a forecast for like what the weather's looking like on Saturday. All right, so like I'm, 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 that's what a meteorologist would do. I'm doing that for college basketball. I test, not science, not numbers, like our prom kings over there. I'm doing this for teams like Wake, which I could very well see turning into the LSU's and the Iowa States that were all pumped up on false bravado earlier in the year and now fighting for their lives in the mud. They never got the same attention that LSU and Iowa State did. I was reading nonsense like no, they, they are now. Wait, are now. Says, no, they're not. That, that's I mean, you're doing it to me. That's what's supposed to be a I quick got. two minutes Wait. aside. Oh, I'm not. I'm just saying that I'm pushing back on that narrative. Let's not do the same thing that we did for Otzelberg. All right. I mean, this is Wake is within that group to me. So Colorado State's another one that we, we got to fluff up a little bit for a while. So you got to wake. You got to. They've won what they're supposed to win, but it's been a lot of cream puffs to win. Forecasting the present. You know what I'm going to splice in here is that first exchange that we had at the top of the episode where you said, I don't make sense. Forecasting the present. Let me splice that. Splice that too. Okay. I can't splice from the same episode. Can you splice? I'll internal splice. That might be internal. You heard of internal strife. Internal splice. All right, let's move on now to the Mountain West. You referenced Colorado State, and I also referenced this team as a good win for Arizona. Wyoming. Wyoming is hot, baby. Hell, they might be the best win for Arizona. UCLA lost ASU. That's terrible. You guys, awful. Wyoming is red, scalding hot. Where do we see this Cowboy team uh, come March? Got to be, got to be careful what we're talking about right now because they're coming off an onslaught of games. They beat Boise, they beat Colorado State, they beat Fresno. You know who they got tonight? And tomorrow when you wake Utah State, Utah State, you got they got Bean coming. So that's a brutal schedule. The Mountain West is a it really is. It's a good league. You got to give them attention. Uh, Maldonado, your boy, been at Wyoming as long as John Dutton, pretty much at this point, the Dutton family, that's a Yellowstone reference. You probably don't watch that show. I encourage you to watch that show, but I mean, they're a good team. They, they can score a ton of points. That win in Fresno was a huge one. In my opinion, Fresno is a pretty good club. Uh, <clears throat> Wyoming was playing in the middle of your game on Thursday night. So you probably weren't allowed to watch much of it. Neither was I because it wasn't televised. That was brutal, uh, but they're able to get that huge win for them against Boise um, so tonight's a huge one against Utah State, but they're a good. They're a good team. They got They're very much in that bubble conversation. Whoever comes out of that league, that's going to be a brutal one to pick in the Jerome and the Mountain West because you got four or five good teams. You also got San Diego State in there too, five. You got San Diego State in there as well. So we're listing off a very good league at this point out in the Mountain West. Completely agree. Wyoming is just a blast to watch, especially at home. You may not associate basketball with the University of Wyoming. But catch one of their games against one of those really good teams. Uh, it's an electric atmosphere. And so Hunter Maldonado, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Graham E.K. as well. He's a terrific big man for them. Uh, they're just a lot of fun to watch. And you're right. The Mountain West is loaded. They're deep. I could easily see two teams making the Sweet 16 from the Mountain West. Uh, you mentioned San Diego State. You got Boise State. You got Colorado State and David Roddy. You got Maldonado and Wyoming. That's going to be one of – I think that's going to be the best mid-major conference tournament for sure. Now, I've already put my stamp on Fresno State for winning that conference tournament because they were there. They were right with Wyoming, and they have a terrific big man as well in Orlando Robinson. The boys from the San Joaquin Valley do not sleep on them. I think they're a terrific – value pick in the Jerome because they're probably going to be ranked what like six five them or SDSU 
Yeah, I mean, they're still. I mean, Utah State. You don't know what that's going to happen with them. I well. didn't mention Utah bat- State. Yeah, they're battle tested there. So that conference is probably the most excited one that I'm that I am as well. I hate to be in agreement with you, but I am. Um, I mean, this is this would probably be more exciting to watch than many of the other big big time conferences. And if I recall, all those games are played earlier on. The conference title happens before. Um, before the big guys get there. So at least I hope that's the case. It, it is but, because yeah. the Mountain West is also in Vegas, which shares with the Pac-12. They should flip it this year. Let let the Mountain West go last. I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's going to be a blast. And you're right. It, it's a lot more entertaining watching the Mountain West this year, in my opinion, than it is the Pac-12, than it is the ACC, uh, than it is maybe even the SEC. But they're they're they play a very very fun brand of basketball out west so wyoming had to give them a shout out there on an absolute tear but some of these other teams like colorado state utah states sdsu man the list really does go on so we'll see uh, how that unfolds we got to get to the hyenas i already lumped ucla in with them but providence there's been a wave of of commentary regarding providence and luck. So this has been going on now for the past month and a half, I guess. And the metrics hate them. Basically, too long, didn't read version. Providence has 20 wins. They're first in the Big East. They're in line to win their first ever conference cha- regular season conference championship, which, by the way, would probably put them in the titch top 50. That's what held them out and why we gave the nod to Western Kentucky. But Providence right now has a couple games up on the second place person or second place team, excuse me, in the big East. But everyone's saying that these guys actually stink and that they're lucky. I don't buy into that. And then we got a tweet from Rob Douster the other day after, after they completely dispatched Georgetown. And I think maybe it was even after the Marquette crazy finish. I forget. Keep me honest here. Where do you, I mean, I, I know you're not so much of a troll where you're like, yeah, it's hundred percent luck. I also know you don't like Providence. Tell me where your feet stand right now between Providence and luck on that spectrum. I don't think you can ever measure luck. Um, I I think so much of the luck conversations come from the Ken Palm luck stat, which to me, you know, why are, why are people reacting to that? You can't really, even so much of Ken Palm adjusted offensive efficiency, adjusted defensive issue based off of the opponent. Well, so much of that is kind of, there's an element of subjectivity in everything. So when you look at Providence, they have won every single game really that they were supposed to win. All right. So even the games that they weren't favored to win. So like St. John's last week, they're on their own in St. John's. I think St. John's was favored by like two points or so. That probably pissed off a lot of the Providence people, Um, but they won. So that isn't necessarily luck. If you watch that game, they hit crucial shots at the end of the game. Horkler is hitting crucial threes. They make their free throws. They get defensive stops. Nate Watson gets an and one that motivates the entire bench. I mean, they do all of that stuff to plays into the fact that they win the game. It's not lucky that the ball bounced to Nate Watson, then he gets an and one, then he makes his free throw. Or they get a defensive stop, or they get a deflection or anything like that. that that's not luck. That just happens. So my commentary is, yeah, I don't like Providence whatsoever. And I would be the first one to laugh at them when they eventually lose. But I also know you got to know when to sit a play out and you can't be a troll if you're not good at being a troll. So you need to pick your spots as to when you're going to hop in and poke that fan base. And right now it's not that, not the time to do it, brother, because they're winning every single game that they're supposed to win. There's nothing lucky about their win against St. John's. There's nothing lucky about that huge comeback against Georgetown who sucks. I mean, you could poke fun at the fact that, I mean, Providence isn't out there playing, you know, preeminent talent over here but they have gone on the road to beat Xavier in the past couple weeks they beat Marquette at home so I mean again they got pounded by Marquette on the road they've had bad losses and I know it's two losses so they they got killed by Virginia and they got killed by Marquette but every other game they've won Texas Tech had a full roster when they played Um, so you can say I don't think they're very good. I think that their record is just that they found a way to win. But really, I, I can't point to a lot of their wins to say that they're lucky outside of the games when Johnny Davis didn't play, which was, you know, a benefit to them that they could beat Wisconsin without him. Um, so just know when to kind of sub yourself out a little bit and go for a walk. Maybe watch Yellow Jackets like I've been doing, and don't don't get into the Providence hyena game. Yeah, get some fresh air. A few items that I want to break down. Number one, there's levels to trolling, right? Like you had mentioned. You can say, 
look, I, they're having a great season, but I do not see them winning many games in the NCAA tournament. I don't see them going to the second, the second weekend. You can say that, right? But what you can't say is that these guys actually suck and that they're 100% lucky. The record speaks for itself. Bill Parcells, you are what your record is, okay? And right now, they're first in, the, in a major conference and have 20 wins, all right? So that's number one. Number two, what else do you want Providence to do? This is kind of my my thing. Like, do you want them to blow teams out? This is high-level collegiate basketball. Not everyone can be a Gonzaga and play the WCC and win by 30 points each night, okay? You have high-level talent in the Big East. What they're doing, what their objective is in real conferences, power six conferences, is just win the games, whether that's by one point or 10 points. All Providence is doing right now is finding ways to win. In years past, when they found ways to lose, excuse me, and lose games to teams that are far inferior to them, lose games where they've had it in hand. They're not doing that this year. Uh, And they also have a really good resume. It's not like they've played nobody, okay? We've mentioned the good wins that they've had. Now, Villanova is going to be huge. We'll see what happens then. Uh, It's going to be a great night either way because on one hand, we're going to get the trolls saying, I told you Providence is lucky. I don't know if Gillespie's even playing. So, I mean, that might just feed into it even more. Or if PC wins and they beat Villanova, we're going to get the likes of the Crier and Friars fam and those hyenas. So, that's my second point is that they're doing exactly what they need to be doing. Um, and then lastly, the, the, the thing about, Oh, well, they've played this team without this player, this team without this player, Jesus Christ, man, like injuries are all part of the game. I could go down a laundry list of, of teams that Arizona's played that didn't have a certain someone UCLA, Tennessee, all this stuff, man. Like what, how, why should Providence be, penalized for that it's ridiculous take it with a grain of salt sure but don't say that they suck because the opponent didn't have their best player and therefore they should have lost that game that's not how life works playa we're here in the here and now i keep saying it this is real life god damn it and what they do is they go out there play the games and they win the games that's what i'm seeing from providence and i think you could say that that is happening yes so providence record the old saying you are what your record is but you can also say that Providence, that team, they do play well together, right? So all those guys, they generally are, are they, everyone knows their role. Everyone, they, there's a level of chemistry that they have and they find ways to win games at the end. But at the same time, you can look at them and say, well, I don't think they're very good. If I were to put them up against an Arkansas, I would pick Arkansas any day of the week. If I were to put them up against a, a let's take a, um, I don't know, I'll try to find a different example from the, let's take a, um, well, here's a real life. Who's example. an average? Yeah, who's an average like Big Ten team? Well, I, I don't know if I, I see where you're going with this, but let's take a real life example from a few years ago. Wichita State. Wichita State was undefeated. They drew Kentucky. Now it may maybe it was oh Kentucky's just a really bad matchup. Uh, they're better than this, or was it? I don't really believe Wichita State is as good as as one would think an un, undefeated team is. When you like, I feel last, like it's that complex. To take a more ex- better example from last year, like Houston. Houston was a two seed. Nobody liked them. They were bottom right bracket. Second round, they got the winner. Of, uh, they played Rutgers. Now, Rutgers was a team that people actually really liked. A lot of people were picking Rutgers in that game. Even on the other side of that bracket, you had Alabama. The winner They were playing the winner of Maryland and UConn. Everyone loves UConn. So everyone was picking UConn to go on another run again. So if I'm Providence, and this is like – I say this in jest because I do kind of want to make fun of them to an extent and poke them and kind of set myself up to be able to dance on their grave if I have to down the road. But there is an element of if we are ranked too high and I'm a three seed and I get someone dangerous in the first round, whether it is a Vermont, whether it is someone, uh, I mean, who who could, I'm just thinking, of, what if it's, what if worst case scenario right here, father, what if it's fucking Iona and they get Rick Patino? Yeah. And it's a three seed versus a 14 seed or a two seed versus a 15 seed. What if that happens? And they're playing with that elevated pomp and circumstances associated with their high seed. If I'm Providence, I'd rather be a six seed and play Miami in the first round, beat the shit out of them and go on the road and play a fluffed up three seed, like, a, you know, get Texas Tech again or get get uh, Michigan State. I would rather be in that scenario than someone, you know, playing with the expectations surrounded where everyone thinks I'm not very good in the first place. I see what you're saying, 
but there's no way Ed Cooley's going to yeah, approach that, obviously. You can't go tell your team, team, we got to lose sure. for the one circumstance where he might get Iona in the first round. I know sure. you can't do that. but I would I would also empathize, I guess, with the hyenas and the fact that they're lashing out and recoiling like a snake when after a couple of years of, of being dormant, they're now pretty damn dominant, at least in the games that we're seeing, and the record speaks for that. And then, and then the reaction, you would think they'd be like, we're an original Big East team. We're going to win the conference for the first time ever in the regular season. And you'd think they were like, oh, the, the media is going to love us. We're going to have so much praise. When in reality, majority of Twitter is just saying, yeah, you guys are lucky. We don't care about you. That's got to sting a little bit. And I can understand the plight that some PC fans are going through. I thought it pissed me off. Yeah, I, I think it would piss me off too, just because it looks very intentional from a lot of people that are just – you know, trying to inflame them to get engagement and all that. So I, I see where they're coming from. Um, but yeah, I guess if I can speak to the other people that are frequently involved with Providence hyenas, it's you got to pick your spots a little bit better. I'd say do it once they lose to Villanova, you know, just do it then. PC hosting Villanova, huge game. Hopefully we can get some sound from the Providence crier. He's going to be there in person. Maybe he can do, uh, like a side a sidewalk interview or something like that. Maybe get a couple of bing bongs from the PC fans. We'll see. All right. Real quick, before we get to the bets, I had a quick question and we discussed this team really quickly. Houston, if they win out, are they a one seed? Probably. Right. I mean, they got two losses. They're against good teams. Uh, they went, made the final four last year. I just don't think they're going to win out. AAC tournament. I could see them. Why don't we preview I, this in my bets section right here? Because I got right. a feeling about tomorrow night. I got, I thought they were going to get clipped actually against Cincinnati. I said, watch out, watch out for Cincinnati. The town is on fire right now. Uh, they're they're playing with a lot of gusto in that city, and then they got down like twenty-one to two. Uh, so another hey, how game. About this? Then, yeah, Cincinnati crawled back before the half, and then Houston came out and punched them in the face, much like Duke versus North Carolina. How about this? You think I think every white guy is Nate Jacobs, West Miller. So much David Pollock in West Miller. How about that? Um, okay. File that away. All right. Let's go ahead and get to your bets now. And please, sir, I want some more. Please, sir. I want some more. What? 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 Some more? No Taylor today. Uh, so let me give you his picks. Texas Tech is going up against Oklahoma, I believe, minus three for Tech. Uh, let me just confirm here. Yeah, Texas Tech minus three uh, against Oklahoma, and then Minnesota is playing Nebraska. Minnesota is only favored by two against Nebraska? Good God. I didn't know that, but Taylor's on Minnesota minus two against Nebraska. And then finally, Xavier plus three uh against seton hall can you make any more noise over there good god that's me. It's like an earthquake yeah I it's like an earthquake be, over there it might be an air conditioning thing going on over here anyway yeah texas tech minus three against oklahoma minnesota minus two against nebraska that's an absurd line uh and xavier plus three against seton hall shark go for it he's not on the show but i gotta give the guy credit he went three and all last week you know, I went to him one. Xavier responded to his own three. With, I mean, that, that's Xavier Taylor. <laughs> um, he responded to his own three the previous week with the three. No, I got to give the guy credit. Pulled off the blind line as well. Good for him. When everyone's winning on pitch, all of our theater goes are winning as well. And we're coming into form pretty well. So happy for him. Hug for Taylor. My picks this week, the theme of my picks are teams that are, they got to win. Right. If they, we, we led this show with bubble conversation. How do you get in the bubble? How do you get in the blind resumes? Each of these teams that I selected, they have a tough schedule coming up and they have a winnable game on Wednesday night that they just need to have this one if they want to be in that conversation because it could very well spiral quickly if they lose this game. So there are three what I would call bubble teams. The first one is Rutgers. Rutgers, you know, coming off some big wins over the weekend, playing hot. They always play well at home. They're playing Ohio State, and they're getting three and a half. Ohio State's coming into form right now as well. I know they're a good club, but I just like Rutgers. You know, return Malahaki, I'm never going to be able to pronounce his name, but he was awesome 
and, and coming back against Northwestern. Then they had the win over the weekend against Michigan State. I just like Rutgers having the Ron Harper still there, Geo Baker's playing again. I just think that team needs to win this game because if they don't win this game, you know, it's it's a gauntlet that they have coming up. They go at Wisconsin, then they're at home against Illinois, then at Purdue, at Michigan, home against Wisconsin again. If you lose this one against Ohio State, you, you're up to 10 losses. It's over, brother. Button it up. Get back out there next year. But this is something that they have to win. I like them to keep it within that number three and a half at this point. Ohio State also playing well. Good team. I just I, – I, Rutgers needs this one, so I'm going to go with the needy team. The next one, I alluded to this already – SMU getting six and a half against Houston. Something's got to give with Houston. They can't keep shooting this well. I mean, Fabian Wade Jr., he's a big guy, but he was lighting it up from three early on against Cincinnati in that game. SMU's got a player in Kendrick Davis that does a little bit of everything. He's a little guy, but he's Tim Jankovic's guy. And Jankovic, he's been there for, you know, six years or so at this point. He's made the tournament once. This team is 19 and five. It's in front of them right now. If they can get this win, they're very much in that bubble conversation and they're going to be that sexier blind resume when you put them up there. But right now they're on the outside looking in. If you don't get this win, you're going to Houston later on this year. That's going to be a loss. So you have to, you have to have this one if you want to be in the bubble conversation uh, in the American. And then my final one, I'm disgusted by this pick, but I have to do it. And it's just because it's something lingering in me. I hope I'm wrong, but Tennessee's playing Mississippi state tomorrow night, 9 PM Eastern in Starkville. Mississippi State has to win this freaking game. They're another bubble team. They have to win. Tennessee's favored. I saw that by a point and a half. Uh, one place I think I got it at, too. I'll double-check that and give you the offline. But Tennessee, in my opinion, shouldn't be favored in this game. Olivia Kamwa is out for the year. He is crucial. He's our starting power forward, our, one of our best defenders, one of our best rebounders, shot blocker. He's coming into his own, been playing great lately. Now we're going to be going back to John Fulkerson. Kidding me? Huntley, Hatley Huntfield, whatever his name is. I mean, he was a five-star recruit, but he, he hasn't had the ability to get out there and perform. Tennessee lives so so much off of whether Bescovy is hitting his threes. I know everyone wants to talk about Kenny Chandler and Sakai Ziegler as the two freshman guards that are sexy, but this team goes if Bescovy, Bescovy is hitting his threes. And if he's not, which I think it's going to be a raucous environment because Mississippi State's got a brutal schedule coming up again as well. You can pull them. They're going to be playing the Auburns, the Alabamas, and they're going to have to have a game like this. I think Iverson Molinar is an incredible player, an incredible bucket getter. They kept it close against Arkansas the other night. But as soon as I saw that Mississippi State had a dud of an offensive performance against Arkansas on Saturday, I was thinking, oh, fuck, these guys are going to light us up in Starkville on, on Wednesday night. So I'm a little bit nervous about that one. I'm just going to go with my gut and say I don't expect Tennessee to win. Tennessee is going to be able to – they've got Kentucky the following week. We'll play Vandy again. we got other wins that are on the schedule, and we're very much going to be in that four to six seed line depending on the SEC tournament performance. But that's just my gut. i got to report the gut. So, wait, are you taking Tennessee or Mississippi No, I'm, take, I'm, I'm taking Mississippi State. Mississippi State. All right. Uh, recap your picks for me. Rutgers to cover Ohio State. What was that number again? Three and a half. Three and a half. SMU to cover Houston plus six and a half. Uh, Mississippi State to cover plus one and a half. Nice picks, gentlemen. All right. Let's go ahead now and wrap it up with some segments. Where am I? Where am I? Where am I? Where am I this week? You remember Dave Neal Shark? Does that name ring a bell at all to you? former Maryland man, stout, wasn't big. He was just an undersized four guy, I think. I think he was on the Grievous Vasquez teams. Okay. Dave Neal, Maryland. Okay. He was on the teams that had those yellow uniforms before it became mainstream. Anyway, Dave Neal, former forward for the University of Maryland. Uh, Right now, he is a senior recruiter at Capital Tech Search in Richmond, Virginia. He's got a pretty long list of cube experience. Before that, he was a security investor at Protective Security Service, Jerusalem Project Manager at Peace Players International, recruiter. He was an account executive at Centric Business Systems, a loan officer assistant, and a brand ambassador. The man's dipped his toes in quite a few careers, but that is what Dave Neal is up to these days. Good for him. You see people kind of bounce around in a variety of different workplaces, but yeah, I'd like to see those guys go on to succeed and carve out a little niche. Absolutely. All right. Do you have any hugs? I gave Taylor a hug already. I'm not going to give him another hug. That's pretty good. My hug, the inaugural HBCU Classic is set to tip 
uh, in February. On the 19th, it'll be broadcast on TNT and ESPN2 from the Wolstein Center, which uh, is Cleveland State's home arena, and it's going to be between Howard and Morgan State. I think this is terrific. Uh, we have the interstate tournaments between like the Indiana teams, right? We have that classic between Kentucky and UCLA and Ohio State those tournaments uh we have we have obviously the tournament the nit tournament in uh msg so i'm glad that the hbcu schools are getting some shine as well hug for the inaugural hbcu classic we're going to get out of here on that note enjoy the games a lot of good matchups coming up here actually real quick before we get out of here shark Bengals or rams rams i'm going Bengals, baby joey b and you know what the b stands for don't you Buttermilk. Buttermilk pancakes. We'll catch you next time here on Theater and College Hoops.